I have to give you a little background about myself and how it is that I found the Lord, or better put, how he found me, and what does it mean to me, and hopefully what it can mean to all of you. And in order to do that, I'll start in Psalms, in the Old Testament, in chapter 25, verses 4 and 5, where it says, show me the path where I should walk, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God that saved me all day long, I put my hope in you. All day long, I put my hope in you. And I grew up in the uh, blue-collar neighborhoods of Philadelphia, and we had a lot of spiritual advisors, one of them being Yogi Berra, the former catcher from the New York Yankees, who said, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. <laughs> and you see, growing up, to me, I grew up in a mainline denominational church, I, I, that Yogi Berra comment had as much meaning to me as Psalms. You see, because I had no foundation. And I grew up in a, uh, went to Catholic school, and it was in the 70s, and if you had my kind of uh, attitude, energy, and demeanor, you became very familiar with rulers. <laughs> Some of you have seen that punishment before. And although I don't condone that type of punishment, uh, I certainly deserved it. And uh, I grew up the, young, uh, the oldest. I have a, a younger brother, two younger sisters. I have a mother who created a, a loving and caring household. And uh, I grew up with a father who was larger than life, larger than life. And um, like a lot of us, uh, he just really wasn't home enough. Uh, and it was because he always had two, three, and even at sometimes four, four jobs. And one of the jobs he always had was he was an exec or a uh, sales rep for Pittsburgh Paint and Glass. And one of the other jobs he always had is he delivered beer. And he delivered beer in a section of Philadelphia called Logan. And I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but Logan is a ghetto. And it's where my dad grew up, and he just couldn't leave it. And he, for his whole life, I know, he used to go on Fridays and Saturdays and work in his ghetto delivering beer. And so when I was like... Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, I used to always go to work with my dad on Saturdays. And we would literally deliver beer in the ghetto. You know, and, and, and we, we would go to houses, and it would be literally 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, my dad would be banging on doors. Beer man! And at that time, in the ghettos, they would answer the, the door by yelling it down from the second floor window. And they would yell down, I ordered that beer at 10 o'clock this morning. My dad would yell up, do you want it or not? <laughs> and then he would look at me. He'd look at me. He always did this. And he goes, they always want it. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess if you're delivering beer in the ghetto, you really don't have to really worry about customer satisfaction. <laughs> but he had this way. He had this way of treating everybody the same. It was unique. It was unique. I mean, whether you were an executive at Pittsburgh Paint and Glass 
whether you were in my blue-collar neighborhood or you were in the ghettos of Philly, my dad never changed. He was the same person. He, was, he had this unique thing to be who he was, and he was an absolute wild man. He was the life of the party. He was a total fun person to be around. And like myself, like myself, he was far from perfect. Far from perfect. And what my dad taught me growing up was he instilled in me this work ethic. And, and my brother and I laugh about it because if we were sleeping in on Saturday morning, he'd come up and grab you by your ankles and pull you right out of bed. Which meant if you weren't awake, the first thing that hit the floor was your head. <laughs> so after a while, when you'd hear him come up the steps, you'd get up. It was a lot less painful. So what I did is, is, is I, I wanted to take this, this, you know, this work effort and ethic that he gave me, and I wanted to add working smart to it. And so I started to set goals for myself. And around my early 20s, I started to, to write down annually what were my goals for that year. And then quarterly, I would I'd be striving for different things. And I always would go back and look. And I even do this to this day. And it's been extremely helpful. And so... In January of 1998, I knew where I was spiritually because I went back into my goals and I looked. And if you looked at my goals that I was setting up in January 1998, there's three pages. And on the third page, number 10, I wrote in the category of spiritual, I wrote one sentence. Need to go to church more often because my children need the guidance. I didn't need it. My children needed it. You see, I had no foundation. I had no foundation. I was very successful. I was on a fast track. I had boats. I had houses. I had money. I had this great family. But I had no foundation. And I was quickly going to learn that when you have no foundation, you can fall a long way. You can fall a long way. Because back to Psalms where it says, all day long I put my hope in you. In January up to January 1998, all day long I put my hope in myself. It was all about me. It was all about me. And so January 3rd, 1998, my dad and mom are in Minnesota for the holidays. And um, my dad and I went out one morning on the 3rd, and we started to uh, hunt at a local hunt club. And after we hunted, we went and to the bar and we started to drink. Not an uncommon experience for him and I. And I drank way too much. And on the way home, I missed the turn went down a hill, and I hit a train at 60 miles an hour. And the first people to show up to the scene, I'm in the, I'm in the front seat of this Jeep, and when the medical people came 10 minutes later, I'm outside the Jeep trying to pull myself away with my arms, my legs shattered, my hips are shattered, bottom part of my body is shattered. And you would say, what would drive a man to get out of a Jeep and do that? And if you could see a picture of the Jeep, you'd see that my dad is laying on me. He's, we're crushed. And I don't remember much of that, but I'm going to tell you what I do remember. I remember waking up in Hennepin County Trauma Center, and I was a mess, and I was in a lot of pain. I had a neck brace on, and I had a bunch of people working on me. Unfortunately, I didn't really know what pain was. Because when I looked up, I saw my mom, and I saw my wife. My mom looked down, and she said, your dad didn't make it. I said, What? And she said, your dad didn't make it. And I'm going to tell you, you don't know what pain is until you hear something like that. You see, I was responsible for my dad's death. I was drinking and driving. I'd killed my father and my friend. 
and I went to a place so ugly I can't even describe it. I can only describe it as hell. If hell's worse than that, I want no parts of it. And for three days, I, my choices was I was going through a bunch of operations, and I'd sit in my hospital room, and I could self-induce morphine, and there was a clock. I looked at the end of my bed, and it was one of those white clocks with the black numbers and, and the red second hand. And I'd close my eyes, and I'd go to this terrible spot, and I would think maybe hours would go by, and I'd wake up sweating, and maybe three or four minutes went by. And that's what I did for two or three days. And clergy are coming in the room, and they're saying they're trying to, to, trying to get to me, and, and, I'm, and I'm kicking them out. And I said, don't you understand? I'm responsible for my dad's death. I killed my father. I was drinking and driving. Get out. And my wife describes it as looking in my eyes and seeing nothing but darkness. And she said, you were mentally gone. Mentally gone. And I wasn't coming back. And then one day, nobody's in the room. Nobody's in the room. And a gentleman comes in, and he's talking to me, and for some reason I'm coherent, and some reason I'm listening to him. And I think it's because he's using words like forgiveness, and he's using words like sinner. And I said a prayer, and he asked me about it, and I said, you know, I think I'm at the top of the sinner list. If there was a list, I'm at the top. I was drinking and driving. I was drunk, and I was responsible for my dad's death. And he said, well, if you say this prayer with me, you'll receive forgiveness. And you admit you're a sinner. And so in that hospital bed, I said a prayer with him, and I prayed to receive Christ. I admitted I was a sinner, and I asked for forgiveness. I said that I knew Jesus died for my sins, and I committed to live with the Lord on an ongoing basis. And I asked the Lord into my life then, now. And an amazing thing happened. An amazing thing happened. It was like my lungs were full of guilt, full of smoke. I couldn't breathe, and I just exhaled all that. And all of a sudden, I could see again, I could feel again, I could touch, I could smell. I was still in a lot of pain, but I was at peace. I was at peace. And then he left. And my wife's outside for on three days on her knees praying, Lord, just please bring my, bring my husband back. She walks in the room. I turned around. I looked at her and said, hey, hon, I just accepted Jesus into my life. She said, I saw a completely different person, a completely different person. She goes, you had life back in your eyes. I'm going to tell you, at 38 years old, when you're in trauma center, you know, and your life's a mess, you're prioritizing things real quick. You are not thinking about your boat. You are thinking about what's going on in my life. What's important to me? What is really happening? And at 38 years old, I was trying, I very quickly learned about the, my, my, prior, my priorities. You see, God saved me. Back to Psalms. For you are the God that saved me. For you are the God that saved me. You see, he saved me physically. If I show you pictures of this Jeep, you would say, you should never have gotten out of that Jeep. It was destroyed. He saved me emotionally. My wife said I was gone. And most important, he gave me the gift of eternal life. He gave me the gift of eternal life, a gift that all of you can have as well. You see, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, God saved you by a special favor when you believe. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. You see, I received forgiveness, and I didn't deserve it. I received a new life, and I didn't deserve it. I received a future, and I didn't deserve it. And I received peace that I didn't even know how to ask for, and I certainly didn't deserve. It's a gift. It is a gift that all of you can have. 
So I'm, 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 I'm back to Psalms. You know, when, lead me by the truth, Lord. Lead me by the truth and teach me. What does that mean? Lead me by the truth and teach me. To me, I found quickly it was the Bible. The Bible is where the truth was for me. Lead me by the truth. So I'm getting ready to leave the hospital. And I'm in a wheelchair. And I'm leaving the hospital. What does it mean to me now? What does it mean to be this Christian at this point? You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They're not the same anymore, for the old life is gone and the new life has begun. And I leave the hospital, and I'm, I'm, I'm in my driveway, and I'm in a wheelchair. And I'm reading a letter from the state, and the letter from the state says, we are prosecuting you for criminal vehicular homicide. Four-year prison sentence. What does it mean to me now? What does it mean to me now to be a Christian? Four-year prison sentence. So my wife and I, we pack up the uh, wheelchair, we get in the car, we start meeting uh, different attorneys, and the message at each attorney was the same. And they said, if the stars line up and all the moons line up and we do our job to perfection, you won't have to do four years in prison. You'll only have to do two years in jail. And my answer was the same each time. What's plan B? Because that ruins my life. That ruins my life. What does it mean to me now, Lord? What, 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 you know, what does it mean? Uh, you're going to take my, this is, this is what you go to. This is what happens when, when you're, you're, you get into distress. You're going to take my life, Lord. I go to prison for two years. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my kids. I'm worried. The difference is I got this foundation. I have this foundation with Jesus Christ. And you see, up to this point, I was still trying to control my life. I'd given my life to Jesus, but I was still trying to control it. This is an issue I still have to this day. But at that point, I'm in the system. I'd received forgiveness from the Lord. I had not received forgiveness from the state. By the way, I shouldn't have. There is consequences for all of our actions. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So I'm reading in the, the, the truth. I'm reading in the word. And I go into Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It starts out with Paul saying, don't worry about anything. Now I'm telling you, I am worried about everything. I am worried about everything. This is things you're not sleeping at night. You know, you're in distress. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. If you do this, you experience God's peace which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. And I receive peace. I receive peace. I receive peace. It allows me to sleep. It allows me to think. It allows me to take action. It allows me to do things. It allows me to be in a good spot that allows me to, to try and get through this. That's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to everything I've experienced in my life up to this point. I'm at peace. And I'm facing four-year prison sentence as I'm trying to keep my life together. That is the, some of the power that you have with the Lord. It's the fall, and Lawson is running an event. And um, I, most of the people at Lawson haven't, see, haven't seen me much. 
and uh, at this event, it's a, an award event, and I had a great team of people working for me. And at this point, um, this division at Lawson knocks the ball out of the park. These people did a great job. We uh, we win just we win every award at Lawson. I mean, we just these guys just these people just did a great job. And I'm showing up at this, this event, and I miss the first night, and I miss most of the next day, and and, and the second night. I finally get there, and I walk into a room similar to this. And when I walk in, even though I'm on a cane, it looks like I'm healthy again, and people see me, and they give me a standing ovation as I walk in. One of the highlights of my business career. And as I walked up to, to, to uh, speak, I felt like saying, today I was sentenced to six months in jail, 10 years probation. Standing ovation. Six months in jail. What kind of roller coaster ride are you on? Six months in jail, standing ovation. You see, the difference for me is I have this foundation now. I have this foundation. I have this place to go to for strength. I have this foundation. I have this place to go to for this relationship with Jesus Christ that allows me to get through this. You are all on some kind of roller coaster ride. You're going to have your moments. You're going to have your, your blessings and you're going to have your challenges. Where are you going? Where are you going when, you, when you've both been blessed and you've been challenged? So I'm getting ready to go to jail. By the way, I'm trying to keep my job through all this. And I'm getting ready to go. And I read a book called Born Again by a gentleman by the name of Chuck Colson. I recommend this book highly. I do not recommend reading it if you're about to go to jail. <laughs> He talks about jail. He talks about what it's like. And so I'm getting ready to go, and I'm anxious, and I'm angry, and I'm getting short with people. And my mother-in-law hands me a verse from Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power, so that you have all the patience and endurance you need. And I'm at peace. I'm at peace going into one of the most out-of-control environments I've ever experienced. I'm at peace. I'm at comfort. I can think. I can act. I can do things. And I go into jail. And my roommate looks like Louis Farrakhan. He goes through his litany of things that he's done, you know, dealing, drugs, robbery, double homicide. Boom, boom, boom. He's going through all these things. And I'm carrying my Bible in jail because I, I, I got this Bible everywhere I go. And, and I get talking to him. His name is Andrew. And Andrew, somewhere in the prison system, had found the Lord. And Andrew was a solid believer in Jesus Christ. He had him in his heart. And so Andrew and I used to pray at night before we'd go to bed. And we'd get together and, and we would pray. And then right before we'd go to bed, I'd say, Andrew, I want to go back into the Old Testament. I want to go back into the Ten Commandments. I want you to read number five, thou shalt not kill. I want to make sure you had that out of your system before we go to sleep tonight. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's January. Or it's coming, it's, say it's December-ish. And uh, I'm in jail, but I'm able to go to work. And I, I'm able to go to work from, say, eight to five. And I'm, and I'm keeping it together. And um, although with a ton of hardship, but there's an event 
that so most of the people at Lawson don't know I'm in jail. I'm just I'm just Richard and Bill Lawson were were awesome to me through this process. And um, but this event, if I miss it, it's a five day event. It's going to be really obvious, and I'm not going to be able to explain it. Uh, and the event is in Key Largo, Florida. So I go to my probation officer and I say, I got to go to Key Largo, Florida. <laughs> and she said, You're in jail. <laughs> and I said, I know. Uh, but you don't understand. If, I, if I'm not there, it's going to be obvious and, and people are going to know. So I have to go. And she goes, you're in jail. And I said, I heard you the first time, you know, and I went through it. We went through this about 20 times. The, am- the answer was the same each time. And I said, just hypothetically, hypothetically, what would it take for me to go? She goes, you got to get your lawyer to write a letter to the judge and to let you go. It will not happen. I go, thank you very much. I go see my lawyer. And I said, I need to go to Key Largo, Florida. He goes, you're in jail. <laughs> I said, I know. We're going through the same routine. Uh, and um, he writes the letter, and the judge lets me go. So I am down at this resort, and without a doubt, I am the happiest person at this resort. <laughs> I'm out of jail for four days, and I'm going back to jail when I get back. I am the happiest person at this resort. And um, my cousin Johnny, uh, who grew up with me, is about my age, worked at this resort. And, and Johnny and I were close, and Johnny was also very close with my dad. And um, we went out on an event one night, and it was, on a, it was a boat ride, and we were coming back off the boat. And he was with us, and when we came off, this is normally in the, in the type of the night, time of the night where Johnny and I would have went out and done something really stupid. And I get off the boat, and my cousin Johnny out of nowhere looks at me, and he goes, Jay, can we go back to your room and pray? And it was at that moment I realized why I was allowed to go. You see, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 22, it says, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. And I finally understood why I was allowed to go. Why I was allowed to go. And since that time, since jail, uh, I've, been, I've been blessed in a lot of areas. As Carl alluded to, um, I became president and CEO of Lawson. Uh, with the help of a ton of great people, we, we were able to take the company public. Uh, and then for a little over four years, I ran a public company. And with that came all the, all the traditional pillars of success uh, that come along with that. But also with all the advancements, as most of you know, comes all the additional challenges as well. As you're running organizations like most of you are, you understand that you're, you're really creating vision. You have fiscal responsibility. You're creating strategy. You're trying to bring your teams together. You're constantly influencing people. You're responsible for driving results. You're building momentum amongst your groups. You're developing people, and you're constantly, constantly communicating and you're trying to do this within a framework of having balance in your life. And, and, and I got all this to do, and I got to make the basketball game. And I got all this to do, and I got to try and get home for the dance event. And I got this, and I'm just trying to get home. And your life is in and this constant battle with balance in life is, is, is a struggle. And, and as you go through this, where, where most people are saying, hey, this guy's you know, got all this huge success. And here I am, you know, just battling it out with balance in life, like most of you. The difference is, is where do I go for strength? I go back to Philippians in chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, For I can do everything with the help of Christ, who gives me the strength I need. Who gives me the strength I need. 
and I, and I received this peace again. I received this strength. And so there's a, there's, there's a lot of times when I'm going through this and, and I'm going into the word and I'm going into the truth to find strength. And I, I have a couple examples for you. One was, one was I was going into a new year. And I think, unfortunately, some of you might relate to this. And, and, I'm, and I'm faced with layoffs. I'm faced with going offshore for development. I had done some acquisitions. We were doing some more acquisitions. I had new markets to go to. And I did the, was doing all this around the framework of being a public company. And so when you get those kind of things, you can get discouraged. You can discourage because there's real life issues there. There's people's lives at stake. And so I'm, I'm struggling as I'm going into this year. And I'm into the Old Testament. I'm reading about somebody by the name of Nehemiah. And I don't know if, if you know Nehemiah, but Nehemiah is, was this gentleman. And at the time, uh, in Jerusalem, they had built the temple back up to, to the Lord, but the walls were a mess around the city. And in this time of, of life, if, if your walls were a mess around the city, you were exposed to the enemy. They were exposed to the enemy and all a bunch of bad things could happen. And, they, and nobody could put these walls back together. And for some reason, they were, were terrible. And, and the Lord just moved on Nehemiah's heart and said, hey, Nehemiah, you know, and he just said, I'm going to go down and fix these walls. It wasn't even from Jerusalem at the time. I'm just going to go down and fix these walls. So the Lord takes an ordinary man and does significant things. And in the Old Testament, New Testament, you'll see it over and over again. Lord just taking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things. And I'm reading it, and I'm getting, stre- I'm getting strength from it. And Nehemiah's down there, and I- I'm going to tell you, he's, you know, he walks in, and the reason the walls weren't built, why? He's got different factions going on. He's got different agendas going on. He's got people complaining. He's got them hurling insults. He's got ridicule. He's got threats. He's got sabotage. I'm like, man, this feels like I'm in one of my development meetings. <laughs> he's struggling. But Nehemiah did something different than most. Nehemiah prayed and took action. Didn't just pray. Didn't just take action. He prayed and took action. Prayed and took action. And what it meant, what it meant to me was that he was walking with the Lord on a daily basis. He was walking with the Lord by taking, praying and taking action. And what he did is he allowed them to organize, manage, supervise, influence, drive results. 52 days, and amongst all this craziness, they end up completing this wall that nobody thought could be done. 52 days. In the midst of all this, in the midst of the 52 days, the enemy decides, oh, the walls are going up, we're going to attack. We're going to attack. So now, in the middle of it, he's got people working on the walls. All of a sudden, they're being shot at. So he's got to take half the workforce and give them spears and bows and swords. There was a lot of days I thought Wall Street was out to kill me. I really thought the analysts were out to kill me. The reality was it was nothing compared to this. And Nehemiah is praying and taking action. He's praying and taking action. And what I get out of it is I start to pray and take action. I start to pray and I take action and I get the strength that I need through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not me. Not me. And I get through unbelievably good times and unbelievably tough times. I took some time off from Lawson. And as Carl alluded to, I just started a new job. But in the interim, I was out um, consulting 
doing project management. And um, about six months ago, I started to say, well, you know, I'm ready to go back to work. So um, my wife, by the way, was also saying, you're ready to go back to work. <laughs> so I started to do the normal networking thing where you meet people for breakfast, lunches, and dinners. And, and you're meeting a, a network that's similar to this room. And now you're meeting what would be viewed as very successful people. And um, I'm spending time with them. And I'm also consulting, so I get to ask a lot of free questions. And so in these meetings, as I'm, as I'm looking for a job, um, I would ask people across the table from me, I'd say, well, what keeps you up at night? Because most of us, the issue is not if you're up at night. It's what's keeping you up at night. And, and they would go through their normal thing. Hey, you know, I need more revenue, and I've got to get margins up, and I'm trying to find enough talent. And I would say uh, to them, I'd go, yeah, that, I, that's probably true. But I really don't think that's what's keeping you up at night. In a couple cases, I said, I think what's keeping you up at night is you're walking into the office, you're making decisions five minutes before everybody figures things out, and you're afraid everybody's going to find out that you're a fraud. And guys were crumbling in front of me. Guys were crumbling in front of me. I said, what do you think? You're the first CEO that's done that? You don't think there's a lot of us go through that? It's not a gentleman who's probably one of the most successful executives leading one of the largest companies in the Twin Cities. And he's with me, and, and, and he has a similar background to me. He came from Detroit, grew up in a real tough area, and his whole goal in life was to make sure his kids never had to sleep on a heating duct that he slept on. And he went through tons of, tons of things. He was usually successful. He had multiple houses. He had horses. He had boats. He's like, that, Jay, I'm on the top rung of the corporate ladder. Is this all there is? Is this all there is to life? I'm totally miserable. I go, no, buddy, you're on the wrong ladder. You're on the wrong ladder. You got to be on the ladder over here with Jesus. Two or three of these guys started to meet with me. Three of them came to Christ, not through me, through the Lord. If you're here today, what these gentlemen had is they, 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 they were all successful people. They all had their pride associated with it because guess what? They put a lot of energy and effort into the success, put a lot of energy and effort. But what they're finding out is they're finding out that you can't fill this void in your life. You can't fill this hole in your heart with material things. You can't fill this hole in your heart with job titles. You can't fill this hole in your heart with anything with the exception of a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. They were finding this out at this point in their life. My question to you is, 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 is where are you on your journey? What kind of hole do you have? kind of things that are bugging you. When are you in with the standing ovations? When are you facing six months in jail? Do you want to get to know this savior that I'm talking about? What I'd like to do in a second is bring Jerry back up and give you an opportunity to understand and get to meet and get to know and get to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want to leave you with this, back to Psalms. Show me the path where I should walk, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God that saved me. All day long, I put my hope in you. I don't know what the future is for me, but I do know where the truth is. And I do know where I put my hope. And I do I know where I get my strength. And I do know where I get my comfort. And I do know where I get my peace. And I get it from my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully, I've conveyed the joys and blessings that you can have by having a full and abundant life with a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ.
It has been a joy and an honor to be here with you this morning. Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to take your offer of grace. Thank you for dying for me, even when I was powerless to change myself. Take my sins away and cleanse me. Help me go through that door into the kingdom of God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of Faith at Work. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Carl Grant. Please follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Faith at Work Radio. And for more information on the High Tech Prayer Breakfast, please visit www.hightechprayerbreakfast.org. You've been listening to Faith at Work with Carl Grant. 